All right, we should be good now. You ready? All right. We've got an echo. Okay. Okay, this is Monty Sokup with the chair of the Affordable Housing Advisory Board. We're about to call this meeting to order. We're having a little bit of technical difficulty so here in the room. So if you give us a second, we're going to try to get that cleaned up. Is there something that one of us needs to do, Kurt? I'm not on Zoom on my surface. Agenda. Yeah, it's online. Uh, we don't have print copies. Mark, all right. How are we doing here? Mark. Sounds like we got it. Maybe um, I, it's because I'm muted still. I think Kurt's still working on it, hmm? Kurt's still working on it. Okay. Oh, so I'm. You're telling me I'm muted. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Let's try again. Okay, we're gonna try it again. Well, we have a little bit of echo here in the room. I don't know what that's like online, but we're gonna plow on forward, I think. Uh, so I am going to call the meeting to order and take role and establish a quorum, and then we'll have some opening comments uh, for the meeting. So taking role, Ron Gacious. Present. Christina Gentry. Okay. Edith Guffey. Present. Thomas Howe. Here. Erica Zimmerman. Here. Shannon Reed. Here. Sarah Waters. Here. Tom Allen. Present. Uh, Monty Soka, present. Is there anyone else on Zoom from the board that I'm missing? Okay, so that is one, two, three, four, five, six. Uh, that's nine present, so we have a quorum. And with that, I would turn it over to Leah for the kind of meeting, uh, opening meeting comments. Thank you, Mr. Chair. This is Leah Roseland, Affordable Housing Administrator. Good morning, everyone. I have a few housekeeping items for this hybrid meeting. This meeting is being recorded and broadcast on the city's YouTube channel and cable channel 25. Please remember to mute yourself during the meeting when you are not speaking. 
The chat function for this public meeting is disabled. All chats will go directly to me. Unless you are participating during the meeting, please turn your video off. This allows the active meeting participants to be seen on screen. You will still be able to hear the meeting. When you are participating, please turn your video on. If you have any trouble, you can send me a chat. The city reserves the right to mute people or turn individual videos off to minimize distractions during the meeting. A few notes on public comment. When the chair calls for public comment, individuals in attending in person should approach the podium to indicate they wish to speak. The podium can be raised and lowered, and we encourage you to use this feature to ensure your comments are heard. Individuals participating via Zoom should use the raise hand function to indicate they wish to speak. Please leave your virtual hand raised until you are called on. Individuals will be called on in the order they appear on the host meeting screen. Please state your name before speaking and all comments will be limited to three minutes. Thank you. And now I'll turn the meeting back over to Mr. Sokup. Okay, thank you, Leah. Appreciate that. Monty Sokup Chair. At this point, we're going to open up the floor for public comment. Is there anyone in the room? <clears throat> Seeing no one in the room, is there anyone online that would like to make comment? You see anyone online, Leah? Okay, so having no one online, I'm going to close public comment. And then we will move into approving the minutes. So I would uh, entertain a motion to approve the minutes from the November 14, 2022 uh, Affordable Housing Advisory Board meeting or any discussion. No, sorry. Mr. <laughs> Chair, this is Christina Gentry, member receiving who has received housing subsidies. I move that we uh, make a motion to approve minutes from last month's meeting. Thank you, Christina. So we have a motion on the floor. Do I have a second? Ron Gacious, second. Is there any discussion? Seeing none, I'll call the roll to approve the minutes. And I'm gonna call the roll in the same order that I took it. So if you could be ready, that'd be fantastic. Ron Gacious. Approved. Christina Gentry. Approved. Edith Guffey. Approved. Thomas Howe. Abstain. Erica Zimmerman. Approve. Shannon Reed. Abstain. Sarah Waters. Approve. Tom Allen. Approve. Monte Sokup. Approve. Motion passes 7-4 to abstentions. Okay, and then we have the agenda. We're moving on to the agenda, regular agenda. We're going to receive a presentation from the Kansas Housing Resources Corporation. This is Leah Roslin, Affordable Housing Administrator. Um, I just want to welcome Alyssa Ice and um, uh, give my sincere gratitude for you making the time to be here with us today. Um, for those of you who were not around, Alyssa used to be the um, Affordable Housing Administrator for the City of Lawrence before she moved on to the uh, Kansas Housing Resources Corporation. So thank you for spending your time to come back and share your expertise with us today. Um, Alyssa's presentation is online. Alyssa, would you like to share screen or do you want me to do that from here? Um, I'm happy to do whatever's easiest for you guys. What do you think? 
If um, it might be easier for you to go ahead and share screen so you can control the slides if you don't mind. Yep, I can do that. Great, thank you so much again. Well, thank you everyone for um, welcoming me back to talk about more housing. <laughs> um, going, can you see my screen now? The appropriate screen. Yes. Yes. Okay. Let's go ahead and start the presentation. Okay. Um, so uh, I'm the director of housing development at KHRC. So we um, utilize the low income housing tax credit program and the um, our home development resources and then the National Housing Trust Fund. We also have um, our moderate income housing program. Unfortunately, most of those resources are not eligible to be used in Douglas County or um, in Lawrence. We have used utilized MIH in Baldwin City and Eudora. Erica um, is doing one of those projects right now. Um, but um, so I'm going to focus on the low income housing tax credit side of the work that we do, but happy to answer any MIH questions um, at the end. So KHRC is a, a nonprofit. We are a quasi state government agency. We are under the umbrella of the Kansas Development Finance Authority, um, and we do um, all housing work. <laughs> any, if you um, have any interest in housing, um, we are you are generally our constituent. Um, we have homeless services, homeless services, community solutions, the housing development, which is the division that I run. Um, we have some home ownership programs. We do the weatherization assistance program, um, and then we do compliance on all of those programs. We are currently in the middle of um, closing down our Kansas Emergency Rental Assistance Program, the CARA program. Um, we have exhausted those resources um, and we are um, working through the, the Homeowner Assistance Fund, the Mortgage Assistance Program that came out of the COVID relief uh, money. So um, I'm going to go ahead and jump into the Low Income Housing Tax Credit Program. So my goal today is to talk to you about what that program is and how it works, and then also how KHRC um, utilizes this resource for development of um, affordable housing. Every state has a LIHTC program, and so there are, um, I think then there are two cities that have their own LIHTC um, um, allocation. So there are 53 um, low ways to run the Low Income Housing Tax Credit Program, including Washington, D.C. So I'm um, going to talk about what it is and then how KHRC, how the state of Kansas utilizes it. So this is a program that's been around since 1986, um, and it is to promote um, the construction and the rehab of affordable housing. Each state receives um, an annual allocation, and so the state of Kansas, due to its size and population and its um, level of poverty, we receive approximately 7.7 .7 million in annual federal low-income housing tax credits, um, and that's on the 9% side, and we'll talk about all of these things. But it's uh, each allocation is a 10-year allocation, so every Every time we make a uh, like a 500,000 um, allocation in credits, we're actually making a $5 million um, allocation in credits, but it's 500,000 um, every year for 10 years for a project. Every project that um, receives an allocation of credits, they are signing on to 30 years of affordability um, as um, stated through the their land, uh, land use restriction agreement. Last year, the state legislature, um, part of many housing resources that they passed, one was a state housing tax credit. Um, this is a, um, a huge, a huge thing for our state. Um, it's a dollar for dollar match on both sides of the credit. So there's a 9% and a 4% low income housing tax credit. And we received a dollar for dollar match on both sides. Um, we will make those first awards in 2023. So the, the 
applications that we will receive on Friday, January 6th will be the first time we um, allocate those credits. In addition to the low income housing tax credit, we often um, utilize our home funds, which the um, city of Lawrence also has. Uh, so we utilize our home funds for our LIHTC projects. And then we also get the state allocation for the National Housing Trust Fund. This is a, a resource that uh, we oftentimes put in our um, low income housing tax credit projects. And when we put that money in, it brings our um, those rents and those units down to the, the uh, um, to be affordable, to be extremely low income households um, in those units. And so that's going to be that 30% AMI, whereas the home program and the tax credit program are generally at 60% AMI. Um, the National Housing Trust Fund has a 30-year commitment for those units. Um, home is generally a 20-year. So this is a visual of what um, a, a low-income housing tax credit project can look like. The you know it's the journey that it takes. Um, oftentimes, like I mentioned, with the Home and National Housing Trust Fund, those funds are going to come from HUD, um, and so the oversight of those programs, the allocation, the priority priority of those funds is going to be um, dictated by HUD. Um, the low-income housing tax credit program is um, it is. The compliance is through Treasury. Um, and so we are bringing those two resources together at the State Housing Finance Agency. And then we are allocating those projects to developers. Um, how the tax credit program works is when we allocate the credits to a developer um, or for to a generally um, a single use um, um, limited partnership, the investors are limited are investing into that pro that project. Um, and so we are allocating credits to the the developer who is then selling those credits to the investor. the that the sale of those credits comes into the project, and that is what brings down those rents and those affordability levels because those properties do not have to sustain the high level of debt than a market um, a market rate property will. And so that's how um, those things are working. So they're all coming together um, to uh, an affordable housing project. So the, um, the, the document, the governing document that details how um, we allocate our credits is the qualified allocation plan. Every allocator of low income housing tax credits has a qualified allocation plan. Um, when I came over to KHRC, our QAP got a full revamp. Um, we utilized a national um, a national consultant and we looked at the whole state and what we needed to be doing to meet the needs of um, our communities. And so the qualified allocation plan is going to have a selection criteria how we choose the applications that we receive, um, the underwriting standards, what every project has to meet, um, and our priorities. So we have um, you know 7.7 million in credits. Uh, we have the 15th largest state in landmass, so we have a lot of space to cover um, with a very limited resource. And so we, um, how we have chosen to prioritize things is detailed in our selection criteria, but in also our set asides, which we'll go over in a second. Um, that 30-year compliance period is huge, so that's um, in our qualified allocation plan. And then the income elections. And so this is something that each project has to elect how they um, how they're going to determine their affordability. Um, and they there's three choices. There's the 40 at 60, the 20 at 50, and then there's a new income averaging, a fairly new income averaging. Um, Nobody uses 20 at 50. Um, nobody uses state 20 at 50 generally um, in the whole nation. So I'm not going to spend any time talking about 20 at 50. Um, but the 40 at 60, what it's saying is that to, to be eligible for tax credits, 40% of the development has to be affordable at 60% AMI. 
Um, and so that's that's one election. Um, more often than not, there uh, those developments are actually choosing 160, so it's a full um, affordable housing complex. Um, but to be eligible, you have to do 40 at 60. Um, income averaging is something that's been around since 2018, but in the last few weeks, the IRS just set out their final rule on how we can utilize income averaging. And so I imagine that we will see a lot more income averaging projects. And how that works is that you have a project that has you know 100 units in it and if they and, and we require as a state that it has to be 100% income averaging we won't have a portion of market rate um so when they select 100% income averaging um when you you when you look at the incomes of all of the units they have to average out 60% and that they have to be in incomes between 20% AMI and 80% AMI. Um, and so that's that's what that is. Um, and we anticipate that we will see a lot more income averaging because the IRS made it easier to utilize this election. And it also then how that would work is that those 80% AMI units, their, their rents can go higher. They can um, have tenants that have a, high, a higher income. And so those higher rents can then help offset the operation um, cost of those 30 and those 20% AMI units, because those units will be affordable to households at 20 or 30% AMI. And so their rents will be lower. And so by by um, averaging them out, they can kind of help assist the, the incomes of those lower um, income tenants. This is the link to our current QAP. Um, it, I think it's probably in your packet, but um, so the, the next pieces of this presentation will go over the different um, pieces of the QAP. Are there any questions so far about just the general LIHTC program. Yeah, I, I have a question. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Smonty up Chair. Um, two, actually, um, why do you think the 2050 is not used? So um, it actually has different requirements. It's not as simple as the 20. It's not as simple as the 40 at 60. It requires that 20% of the units have to be affordable at 50%. And then there's other income restrictions that are not in the 40 at 60. Additionally, you only get um, even at the, the 40 at 60, you only get credit for the tax credit units. Um, and so you have to have an investor who's willing to purchase those credits. Um, and so if you're talking about only 20% of a project is affordable to 50%, um, finding an investor who'd be interested in that small amount of credits could also be a challenge. Okay. And then you asked, you talked about uh, the different criteria and we've had uh, developers, private developers are looking at this avenue mm -hmm. to build their capital stack. Um, how important do you think is the local participation because we're hearing from them that it's important that they get our local dollars before they go to LIHTC projects versus trying to get the LIHTC project and then coming here for assistance. So I'd like to hear your opinion as a person who looks at these applications. Yes, and um, and I'm gonna talk about that in detail, but I, and I think that that's something that we, um, we look at both sides of it, um, before or after, and that's something that we we grapple with a lot because um, these are big, complicated deals. Um, there and 
you know, once and we all know this, that once the we approve an application, it's it's out of date, right? Once they submitted it, because costs change, circumstances change. Um, and so we have two ways of looking at that. One is if a development comes in with a firm commitment that they are receiving these below market loans and support, which is how we would consider um, the, the Lawrence um, trust fund funds, um, then they get credit for that and they get credit. I think they get more credit for that at, at the time of application. But one of the things that we also recognize is that a developer who has a history of going after those funds, even if they can't bring them in at application or they don't get the credit for that, but they do that work um, throughout the life of the project, um, we give them credit for that too. And so we do a previous um, previous um, success, previous outcome success, I think is how that looks. Um, and so we do give credit for that. And we think that it's important to be able to recognize the money still helps the project. It still will help bring that affordability down or, um, you know, make it, make it go get over that, that hurdle. Um, and so, um, we have, we look at it both ways and we value it at both, at both points. Thank you. Are there any other questions at this point? Yes, I have a question. Mm -hmm. Uh, Edith Guppy, uh, member at large, uh, you stated that income averaging uh, will likely be used more often now because the IRS made it easier. Uh, is there a concern that income averaging may disadvantage those that have lower income because income averaging, those with higher incomes uh, may offset some of the expenses for those with lower income? Um, well, I don't think so. And uh, for a couple of reasons, one, um, Right now, the the like tech program it's different than um, like housing choice vouchers in that um, a couple of things. So it's different than housing choice vouchers in that we the like tech program works that we have to we fund the project up front and oftentimes our units are not affordable to those extremely low income households already because we we know that households at 30% and 40% and 50% are living in tax credit units already, and they are paying the rent at a 60% AMI level. And so now income averaging is going to give more space to make those units more affordable to those households that are that are very possibly already living in our units. Um, that's one thing. The other thing is that um, as a state election is a state requirement, um, we are going to require that the average is actually lower than 60%. And so it will continue to push those rent, rents um, down in that affordability um, to a higher level of affordability um, through our own QAP and our own elections. All right, and Okay, Erica, I think you got your hand up there. Yeah, thank you. Erica Zimmerman, Executive Director of Lawrence Habitat. Um, Alyssa, something we talk about a lot is the 30-year affordability period. Do you ever see that changing or increasing? And how was that period determined um, for this program? So the 30-year, um, so the low income housing tax credit program has a has two phases of affordability. One, the first is the um, initial compliance period, and then it goes into extended use. And the extended use is the 15 to 30 years. Um, this is a question um, as background for the LIHTC program because it is um, it's approaching its 40th birthday. When it first started, um, it was it was a 
a test, right? It was a, um, a trial to see if it was actually going to be successful. And so that's why they had originally the 15 and then the 30 year to allow an out at 15 years. And so our current projects can go through, well, not our current projects. There was a long period of time where projects could go through the um, qualified contract process to exit the LIHTC program at year 15. Um, we as a state have a, have a big problem with the, the qualified contracts. We have a lot of projects that are going through that process and they are um, losing their affordability. Um, and so we're, we're right now it's a requirement to go to the 30 year, which is the, the LIHTC minimum. Um, and um, a couple reasons that we continue to do the 30 year, we see a lot of projects come back in for resyndication. So they'll come back in for more credits at about year 20 to 25 to um, extend that affordability. Um, we do see, especially out in our smaller communities out in Western Kansas, practically these programs don't change uh, or that the housing doesn't change, the affordability doesn't change when the affordability um, falls off, when the 30 year um, you know, expires, because those are units that are still being rented to households at 60% AMI, those, household, those rents are still affordable to those levels, but it does get them out of the compliance requirements that we have to have. We have to go out and do the oversight. We have to be um, requiring those audits uh, and those types of fees that have to be associated with that oversight. So at 30 years when they can roll over and they can, um, you know, that that expert or that affordability expires, it actually sometimes a lot of times sets those projects up for success because they can maintain um, that their operations. So I don't see it changing um, anytime soon, but I do think that um, properties that would benefit from affordability, they're still serving their community. There are opportunities to extend that affordability and um, rehab them and set them up for an additional 30 years. Anyone, anyone else? Okay, we'll turn back over to you, Alyssa, okay. thanks. <laughs> okay, so, um, so right now we're gonna go through just the qualified allocation plan and how it's set up and the things that we, we do with our program. So um, we have a 9% and a 4% credit. And so we're gonna focus on the 9% and I'll touch base on the 4% at the end. Um, so our 9% is a, uh, it's a competitive pro um, program. We generally are oversubscribed to about four or five to one. Um, and so these are the things that we do to make sure that we're um, serving the whole state. The first thing is the maximum award per project is 850,000. Um, so this is gonna be an 850,000 10 year credit. So it's actually 8.5 million. And it also then will mean that the, they can get us the state credit for 850,000. Um, from what we've heard from the, our discussions with developers, especially in our metropolitan communities, which um, Douglas County is one of, um, this will do, this will serve or build a project that's approximately 50 to 60 units, which we think is where we wanna be um, in those metropolitan areas. No principal shall receive more than two awards each round. Uh, we have a small but mighty pool of developers in our state. And so we want to make sure that we are meeting um, the capacity or we're, you know, we're not exceeding the capacity of our developers uh, and our communities. And also that we are um, you know, continuing to, to, to fund those developers that do great work um, with a limited um, resource. 
Principals may not have more than four projects not yet placed in service. So um, it takes, we all know, it takes a long time to build a project. Um, and so we need to make sure that those developers are continuing to push them through um, and go through the whole process. You know, once they get approved, they have to build it, but then they also have to go through the, um, the cost certification process, which can also be a lengthy process. And so we need to make sure that we're not getting um, these projects bottled up um, and they're continuing to to churn through. So no um, principal can have more than four projects going um, at any point. I put an asterisk by there because if there are capacity concerns, our QAP does give us um, the, the flexibility to not approve up to the four if there are capacity concerns. Um, no project can, we can have no more than two projects in a rural county and three projects in a metropolitan county approved each round. Um, and with the state credit, this is an increased number. It used to be one in rural and two in uh, metropolitan. So of the 7.7 million in credits, um, we have different pools that we're, we try to, to hit. Um, this is a moving um, target. It's changed every year since I've been at KHRC and we'll continue to refine it. Um, but this is how um, we wanna see the projects approved um, this year. We wanna do up to 20% um, of our LITEX on rehab projects. This is a lower number than in the past because we'd like to see um, our rehab projects go on the 4% side. Um, uh, and so, and we'll talk about that in a second. We want to see 25% of our available low income housing tax credits on new construction in our metropolitan counties. And our metropolitan counties are defined as Douglas, Johnson, Sedgwick, Shawnee, and Wyandotte. 25% um, in our rural counties. And then, um, we, then we have our unique opportunities. And so that's going to be the projects that may not score well or they have um, unique opportunities. Maybe they have a large, like an ARPA allocation, or um, we just approved a unique opportunity in Wyandotte County where it was a rehab of a 12-story building. So it was impossible to get it approved at the 850,000 um, level because it's one huge building. We're not going to approve half of it and not the other half. And so it had to be um, reviewed and considered outside of our general set-asides. And then the general set aside is going to be the, the remainder of the credits that we have left. What we had found last year and in, in previous years is that, um, you know, the, the next level of funding, right, the next highest scoring project or the next highest need of rehab project would throw us out of this, the, this percentage set aside that we have. And so we wanted to be able to, once we met our goals, that the rest of the projects go into a bigger pool and we can um, fund based on the, the best of that, that pool. So the next part of the QAP is our threshold eligibility. This is a long lengthy um, piece of the QAP. I did want to just draw your attention to a few things that are in there. So these are the things that are required um, for all of our projects. The first is um, that all of our projects have to be notifying the public housing authority that these projects are coming online so that it, those voucher holders should be able to um, meet with the, the management company or, or submit their application to get into those units. The next is this income and rent targeting. Um, this is something that, that we um, continue to work on. We um, know that we have uh, plenty of voucher holders that have a voucher that cannot 
um, that don't have landlords to take them. And so one of the things, and the, the low-income housing tax credit, 60% AMI rent, and oftentimes, and in, especially in our metropolitan counties, that rent is higher than the voucher um, threshold level. And so one of the things that we were requiring now is that all of our new construction projects have to have 30% of those units have to be at that um, voucher level. In previous QAPs, it used to be 20%, and it was only on the 9% side. Um, this is now going to be on all of our new construction projects on the 9 and 4%. Um, and then if they elect that income averaging, this is where they also have to average to a lower level so that um, there's more units that are affordable to those voucher holders. I have, I have a question yep. on mm -hmm. if we if we uh, if we require if we're requiring 30% of those to be at that certain level. Are we still able to meet the products that we need? Because like in Lawrence, I know we have a, a need for two and three bedroom units where we don't have as large a need for studio apartments, for instance. So are we still able, does that, how does that apply? Because if I'm a developer, I'm, or if, I'm, if I'm developing a thing to get my rent low, I'm getting a smaller apartment so I can get my rent down. So how does, does that work? Does that cause us a problem un, unintended or is that figured out? So um, that's going to be looked at in a few different spaces. So one is um, if it's a development that has multiple unit types. So if there are studios, ones, twos, and threes in the development, they have to be spread out through the whole um, through the whole unit mix. Um, so they can't be the 30% unit or the, you know, yeah, the 40% the AMI units cannot just be the studios. Um, they have to be to spread out unless there is um, a compelling reason, like it's a permanent supportive housing and they're serving, um, you know, single homeless men, then they can, um, right. they can reach out and talk to us about that. And we may approve it on a case by case basis. Um, the other thing is the market study that we require. Um, if that market study says that they need um, housing for families and they're only some, you know, proposing one bedroom units, that's a question and that's an evaluation um, spot that we'll be looking at. Thank you. Okay. So the next part is the selection criteria. Um, we look at our reha rehabilitation projects and our new construction projects very differently. Um, the, the rehabs, we do not score them. We uh, fund them based on this list of um, list of criteria um, from most important to least important order. Um, and so we will go out and we have a site inspector and he looks at all of these projects and he identifies um, which ones need the most work, um, which ones are in the worst shape. And then we'll then we'll go down the list looking at projects that USDA has identified as a priority site. That's our next priority. Um, projects that have project-based rent assistance, we want to make sure that those are staying in good shape and those are staying affordable. The next is light tech um, resyndications um, and on down the list. Um, we think that on the new construction side, we really focus on the quality of the site. Um, and this is something that rehabs, we, people live there. Um, and so we want to make sure that we're continuing um, those, those spaces to be um, um, safe and affordable um, and um, decent places to live. And so we're not going to be reviewing the site like we do on the new construction side. 
So on new construction, this is the list of point um, categories. Um, so these are all of the things that we're looking at. And so when these applications come in, they come in at two phases. They come in at preliminary application. And at preliminary, we are looking at the development team and the quality of the site. Um, and so we give them then a, a preliminary score when that application comes in. And then we give them where that score sat within range of all the other preliminary new construction applications that they received. And then um, we invite them to submit a full application uh, or we don't, depending on where they fell um, in that site selection. And then they can choose to submit a full application. Um, and then we'll, find, well, then we'll score the rest of the pieces. This isn't in order of the preliminary and full. Um, I recognize that. And so I'll try to identify which ones are, are scored at which space. But I just want to touch on what each of these are so that you guys can have an idea of what we're prioritizing when we are reviewing applications. So the first is the applicant and principal's experience. Have they done light tech deals before? Um, you know, we know these are complicated projects and they need some expertise. We need to understand that they know how this works. If they are a new applicant, um, then we require them to co-develop with an experienced um, applicant. This, uh, Monty, is where you're asking about that successful below market loans and support. This is where we score them if they have a history of going for those, um, those resources. And so that would include local trust funds, um, federal home loan bank, um, local home funds, um, those kinds of things. So that's where we're, where we're giving credit for going after those resources in previous applications. We do have one penalty area, and so this is where we're going to penalize um, developers who have gone through the qualified contract process, so they have elected to um, remove their affordability. We will also give penalties for not meeting our um, threshold requirements or not giving us information when, the, when they sell a property or when they change management companies um, without going through those processes. We need, we need to know what's happening at these properties, and so if they're not informing us, they'll also be receiving penalties. The next is underserved areas. Um, underserved areas are um, zip codes that have not received a LIHTC project in the last five years. So we are encouraging our developers to look at those spaces and they get um, points for proposing a project that has not been funded in five years. This is not an end-all be-all. I think half of our projects are in um, areas that are not considered underserved, um, but we have had some success in our developers looking at these spaces. Subsequent phases are another thing that we um, prioritize. If a project is full um, and there is a waiting list uh, and could utilize more resources, more units, then we will prioritize them. Um, residential character, are these properties near um, residential areas? Are there other houses? Are there other units nearby? Quality site is a new, um, a new point category this year, um, and it is um, admittedly completely subjective. Um, we are committing to going out to all of these sites to see if it is a quality site. Um, are there, you know, environ, is it, are there parks? Are there sidewalks? Is it walking distance from a school? Is there a senior center across the street? Some of these things that, you know, you know it when you see it. And so um, we're looking to this to um, give some direction and some encouragement to those sites that are just, you know, you, they just feel like good places to live. Proximity to amenities, we give points for being nearby those schools and those libraries and um, grocery stores, pharmacies, retail establishments. Um, below markets, loans and support. So this is where you get points if you have committed below market loans and support at the time of application. And this will also include donated land from the city. Um, and it can include um, reduced you, you know, fees, uh, hookup fees, um, anything like that. So this, this is, encompasses a lot of things, not just the trust, fund, trust funds. 
If a community has a community revitalization plan, the project is being proposed there. We give points for that. Um, opportunity sites, we had we used to utilize a program through Enterprise 360 that um, looked at every single census tract in the nation um, and gave them a ranking. That system shut down. Um, it was very expensive and it was free. And so it proved to not be um, a viable business option. So we utilized a um, RDG planning and design that did our state housing needs assessment. And they did um, a review of the census tracts with in the state and um, those sites are um, you know given different rankings and so projects that come in um, we'll, we'll look at the the ranking of those sites um, for scoring we also get points for deeper income targeting um, if it's a senior proposal that is offering services and if it's a family site that has a certain percentage of units at the uh, three bedroom level we'll get points for that um, projects that go um, even deeper affordability by electing to um, not to have any units that are above fair market rate, um, those get points. And then for home ownership projects that are um, going to be owned by a nonprofit, we give those special consideration also. And then there's tiebreakers if we have projects that score the same thing. So this is a visual of how we want to um, allocate our resources. So this is the 20% for rehab, 25% for non-metro new, 20% um, for rural or metro new, and unique opportunities, and then the, gen the remaining light techs. Our underwriting standards, they have to meet all of these things. Um, a pro forma that looks like a project can be, can, um, operate for 30 years. We want to look at those operating expenses, make sure they're reasonable, um, and they, they compare to other projects that are being funded at that time. Reserves, um, replacement reserves, operating reserves, um, to make sure that these projects are, um, you know, good, going to be able to serve and meet the needs of the, you know, the operations for the 30 years. Have they talked to syndicators? Have they talked to loan um, loan providers? Um, developer fee. So these projects are different than market rate units, where the profit, you know, the the um, the profit looks is very slim on these projects, even when they first come out um, of when they first start leasing up. And so the difference is they get their developer fee as part of their development budget. Um, and so we have limits on those. And it depends on if it's a new construction, if it's a large project, or um, if it's a rehab. And so we have stated uh, maximums for those developer fees. And then we have standards if they want to um, get the home and the National Housing Trust Fund. Sorry, oh, yeah, what, is your, what is your, uh, uh, this is fascinating. I mean, it's super Good, I'm glad. I'm hoping this is helpful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what is your, what's the maximum fee that you guys allow for LIHTC? Um, So on the new construction side, it's 20,000 um, a unit. And then on the rehab, it's based on the, num the, um, the um, work being done on the project. Um, I don't know what that exact percentage is, but it's a percentage of um, construction costs. And then we'll talk about that developer fee. Um, if they don't get a check for $1.2 million um, at the beginning of the project, um, it's paid out throughout the, the construction. And then oftentimes a developer defers most of that fee um, as, as part of a source for the project. Right, okay, thanks. So the 4% side, um, this is a, so all of the stuff that we've been talking about has been on the 9%, which is you know the competitive, um, resource. So 4% tax credit projects um, are a, a different animal all on their own. Um, 
this, the 4% allocation is based on a state's private activity bond allocation. So every state has a, um, a level of a private activity bonds that they can allocate as a state. Kansas is a, a small state minimum state. And so I think our allocation is approximately 350 million a year that we can allocate through private activity bonds. How 4% credit works is they receive um, credit based on the um, allocation of private activity bonds and their eligible expenses. There is no limit on 4% credits. Um, it's, it's just the limit is the, the limit of activity bond allocations. With the um, allocation of this new state credit, um, we, we anticipate uh, that our 4% credit will be um, utilized way more than it has in the past. So we have typically done four to five projects a year on the 4% side. These projects are hard to, to make work because 50% um, of the development budget has to be funded by private activity bonds to be eligible for 4% credit. Um, and so they have a lot more debt on them um, and they have to have a lot more cash flow. And so on the new construction side, that generally means a large project. Um, the, the union at the loop project that's happening in Lawrence right now, that is a 4% project. Um, they Those projects are hard to make work if they are under 100 units, um, period. On the rehab side, um, they have to have cash flow. And so oftentimes those projects are going to be um, public housing authority units because they're going to be, they're going to have the vouchers, the um, place-based vouchers, um, also then the, the tenant income. And so they're able to pay the debt service on those private activity bonds um, with the income that's generated through those vouchers. But with the, the state credit, um, there's going to be a new equity source and it's going to be a substantial equity source. And so we think that these projects are going to be still difficult to make work, but easier. Um, and so we are restructuring how that program works in the upcoming year. It used to be um, it's a rolling application. They would submit the application if it worked and it met all of our threshold eligibility. Uh, we would approve it. Um, that's not going to have. That's not going to be how it can work um, anymore. So what we will be doing is three rounds of um, of 4% deals in each round, we will be allocating approximately 75 million of private activity bonds. So we'll be looking at approximately 225 million in private activity bonds throughout the year and the credits attached to that. For new construction, we wanna utilize 40% of that activity for new construction. Each project has to have a, get a threshold of 33 points, and then we will award based on a number of things. And one of the reasons why we can't, or we don't believe that we can um, look at a straight point calculation is because um, there's only a few communities in the state of Kansas that can take on um, a 4% new construction deal um, because of the size that they have to be. Um, and those are gonna include Douglas County, Sedgwick County, Johnson County, Wyandotte County. Um, and so we can't have all of these projects, you know, swooping in on Johnson County at the same time. And so we need to make sure that we're they're coming online, they're leasing up, and then we can go to the next project. And so, um, so we're going to be looking at that selection criteria, the demand of those units, and then we're also putting a one and a half mile radius moratorium for um, I think two years to make sure that we're giving these projects a chance to lease up, and then we'll move on to the next one. Rehab, they have to, it's going to be another 40% and we'll evaluate and recommend the same as the 9%. So they, the, the need of those units um, first and then down the list of priorities. 
This is the timeline of the 9% projects that we do. Um, so the we start drafting the QAP early summer. We release it for comment in July. We release the final QAP in September. Um, the application is then released in October. Our 9% um, preliminary applications are due at the end of January. We will invite full applications in the middle of February. They will be due in May and we will make those announcements in June. And this is how it generally looks um, every year. The 4% credits, these are the, the due dates for the next year for the three rounds. So January 6th, April 14th, and July 14th is when we, we will be accepting 4% applications. Um, I know I'm running really long, I think. So I just wanted to show really quickly what the financial stack of some of these projects can look like. Um, these are just you know general examples, but it's just really to show that the, the LIHTC equity is a piece of the project and no project can happen it's just a light tech project. All of our projects have conventional debt on them. Um, all, the yellow line is that deferred fee. So that it can be a substantial part of the, of the budget that they are deferring a large part of their developer fee um, to make the, the project work. You can see in Douglas County, the, this project has state resources. So that would be the trust fund. Um, in Sedgwick County, this had KHRC soft financing. So that would be the home or the National Housing Trust Fund. Celine project, that project had um, historic tax credits to help make that one work. Um, in Western Western Kansas, that was conventional debt was the main um, you know, gap closer. And then that 4% project, you can see that that tax exempt bond is a huge part of that project. And then the LIHTC equity is substantially smaller than the other ones because the 4% the credit can only, it's only 4% of the eligible expenses, whereas the 9% is 9%. So you can see the difference there. Um, that's our all of our contact information. We are um, our communications department does a lot of work. They are everywhere, so I encourage you to um, follow us on Twitter and Facebook and um, get on our mailing list. We do a really good job of updating um, what's coming out, what's going on, um, and really um, encourage you to keep up on that. And that that's what I have. <laughs> Thank you, Alyssa. That was a lot of information. It was a lot, and I apologize for that, and I'm not really sure what else to do about that. <laughs> oh, no, thank you. Are there any questions? I'm going to open up for quick questions, and then we need to also get on with our agenda. So, Christina Gentry, I have this question. As a board member, <clears throat> no, sorry, Christina Gentry, board member receiving and has received housing subsidies. I want to thank you today for this very informative presentation. I've been a board member now for two years. And though the light tech uh, information packet comes in real thick and you can read it, I prefer and I, I really appreciate the auditory and the the um the, the PowerPoints. Uh, my my question really was about the criteria and including in the criteria for the underserved areas. Um, could you go into a little bit more detail about what that criteria includes for the underserved areas? I'm just curious. I want to make sure I got um, all of my understanding of what that looks like. Um, so I'm thinking about public transportation and the closeness and the proximity to transportation for some of the people who would be in these units. So could we, maybe get a little bit more detail about what that looks like for the criteria for the 9% um, awarded? Yep. So um, that's a good question. So the, the straight underserved area um, 
selection criteria is is just if you if that zip code has not been served in the last five years, um, it becomes an underserved area. But we look at the the transportation and you know the access to healthcare and um, daycares and all of those things in other spaces of the selection criteria, and so that's going to be accounted for in the opportunity sites um, and in the proximity to amenities. So the proximity to amenities has it's a it's a long, long list. I think it's like 25 things that we're looking to see. And each development gets, um, each proposal, I think it's one point for each thing that they're close to. And so we're looking at those um, those items. But then on the other side, um, we also know that there are communities where, or there are sites that communities want to um, to reinvest in, or they want to, they want to, um, you know, see these spaces build up. They're putting in their own resources, and so the other side of that is that community reinvestment um, portion. And so, if a community has identified that site as a space to invest in, and through you know other transportation resources or other things, we also give credit for that. Also, thank you. This, Christina, did you have any other questions? Okay, uh, this is Shannon Reed, Douglas County Commissioner. Hi, Alyssa, it's nice to see your face, it's been a long time. Um, I, just to piggyback off of Christina's question, which I appreciate, I um, wanted to ask if there are any zip codes in Douglas County that you can identify as, uh, I know that's not a totally Lawrence specific, so I'm gonna guess that there might not be any in Lawrence, but curious if there are and curious if, um, any underserved zip codes exist in our county, especially since we're in that, technically we're in the metro category, but also have some rural communities. So I'm just curious from that perspective. That's a good question. I will, um, I can just, I'll put a, oh, I'll put a snip to, to Leah and she can post it. So we have just the list of counties that are not um, underserved. Um, and so I'm not sure which ones exactly are Douglas okay. County, but uh, that's okay. Don't answer. worry about spending time, but yeah, if you could follow up, I'd just to be interested to see that. Thanks. And it's nice to see you too. <laughs> okay. Uh, Monty Sokup chair, uh, see no more comments. Thank you, Alyssa. Very nice presentation and great information. And thank you. And we're going to move on to the next agenda item. Great. Thank you for your time and okay. uh, look forward to work with you guys later. Bye. Thank you. Okay. Second item uh, receives uh, quarter three 2022 reports. So the 2022 affordable housing trust fund grantees. Uh, that's to me, that's a staff report. This is Leah Roseland, affordable housing administrator. The I'm sorry, the quarter three reports are attached to the agenda and I will share the screen and bring them up for folks to review. Um, so just, it, I will quickly summarize where the projects are at. The Housing Stabilization Collaborative has served 1,121 households um, with the trust funds and they have expended all of the trust funds allocation for 2022. I think they expended it all, um, well, in quarter three, so they won't be serving. They haven't served anybody with trust funds in quarter four. And there's some narrative if you all want to spend some time reading that, but I'm not going to go through the narrative. 
Um, Independence Inc. did not serve anybody um, for accessibility modifications in quarter three. The Lawrence Douglas Housing County Housing Authority did not serve any households in quarter three uh, due to lack of referrals from partner agencies for the New Horizon program. And my understanding is they are looking for new partnerships for that program so that they can begin getting referrals again for serving um, households. Um, the Lawrence Habitat for Humanity um, served one household um, and eight families. So it's a cooperative housing unit that they served so that they were able to support eight individual households living under one roof with the critical systems repair program. And again, you can read the narrative on your own time. And then the tenants to homeowners program um, projects, they have two projects this year that were funded by the trust funds. Um, they gave some progress reports, but the construction has not started on either of them. Any questions? Uh, Leah, this is Shannon with the Housing Authority. And I think our reports read no new families in quarter three, because we have existing families that we are continuing to support. This is Leah Roslin, Affordable Housing Administrator. Yeah, the way that the quarterly reports work, that it asks for new families served during the quarter. So the previous quarters will show those families that were served, and then the year-end report will show the cumulative families served throughout the year. So thank you for that clarification. Any other questions or comments? We should have the year-end reports in um, January and we'll look at those, or sorry, in February, and we'll look at those at the March AHAB meeting. Thank you, Leah. Are there any other questions for Leah on the report? Okay. Uh, seeing none, um, we'll move on to the third. I don't believe there's any action required on that other than receiving the reports. So, Item three is schedule the 2023 Affordable Housing Advisory Board retreat and discuss the goals and objectives for the retreat. Um, I believe that Leah sent out a doodle poll to try to select a few dates. There were many members could be there. I'm sure we're not going to get a date where every member can be there. And ideally, uh, we would like to do this retreat in person, if at all possible. Um, do you want to speak more about that, Leah? Do you have some comments on that sure this is leah rosen affordable housing administrator so um it, to start just to give some context to the goals of the retreat and then i believe that um monty will open it up for additional recommendations for um the goals and objectives of that retreat but the ahab originally set initial five-year goals and this is the final year of those initial five-year goals and so the primary purpose of the retreat is to look at the next five-year goals and accompanying priority strategies for the ahab to achieve those goals 
The retreat will be facilitated by Christina Holt, who is with KU Center for Community Health and Development. And um, in speaking with her, she has um, just asked if it could be either an all hybrid or sorry, an all virtual retreat or an all in-person retreat with a priority on coming together in person. Um, and so um, that's a discussion for you all to have if everybody's able to make it in person. And then just uh, finally to offer for your consideration and discussion um, was the doodle poll to select the date. The top choice was January 30th from 8.30 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. And then the second choice was February 13th from either 9 to 1 or 10 to 2. Um, and if we, if the AHAB could go ahead and make a decision today, if possible, on the time and date and format of the retreat and any additional goals or objectives for the retreat that would be helpful so that we can prepare Christina um, and all of you for, for, uh, for that date. Okay, thank you, Leah. I see Christina has her hand up, so. You don't have your hand up? Okay. I have my hand up. Oh, I'm sorry, that was my cursor on my own screen. Sorry, Christina. <laughs> oh. Thomas has his hand up. <laughs> so not, noting that the um, most popular time was January 30th at 8.30 a.m., I would make a motion that we have our retreat on January 30th at 8.30 a.m. This right. is Shannon Howery, a second. Okay, so we have a motion and a second. Let's talk about that. What's uh, What other people feel about that go ahead Edith uh, I will not be in person on January 30th I'm sorry but that of course you cannot have everyone right um I would I, I would also ask I don't think the doodle pool included in the evening times and I want to be sensitive to people that maybe their jobs aren't as flexible that uh so I guess I would ask the question if we should consider uh, any evening times for a retreat or if people really do not want to do that. Happy to. My, my preference would be not to have it in the evening. Okay. Mr. Chair, this is Sarah Waters yeah. at KU. Um, I know another one of our agenda items is new board members coming on. Um, so I'm don't know if we should hear some about that and i'm wondering if they're going to be appointed in january if it'd be hard to get them or if it might be easier to get them on the february day give them a little bit more time with their schedule just as a consideration i'm available either day that has been put out there in this conversation mm -hmm. so just just as another thought you might not think about any other thoughts on that Christina Gentry. I, I appreciate the thoughts of new membership inclusion, um, and I'm available 8.30 in person for the January 30th, if that's what we decide upon. Okay. This is uh, Shannon Reed, Douglas County Commissioner. I um, <clears throat> agree with Sarah's point about maybe some discussion about the um, membership changes could be had and what staff knows about that and how to assess that availability. And on that note, I um, 
in January, at the beginning of January, it'll probably be our January 11th meeting, which is our second meeting of the year for the Douglas County Commission, is when we will, we annually do new appointments of commissioners to various community boards. Um, I, I, I am interested in joining the CJCC, um, which is a monthly meeting with a fairly heavy lift. So I intend to ask one of my fellow commissioners to um, to gauge interest and make an appointment for different commissioners to join this. So I just, you know, an FYI, I didn't fill out the doodle poll because of that um, and not sure which commissioner it will be. Also, to be fair, there's some, I think, continued conversation for us to have with the city, especially as the city is reorganizing its boards and whatnot. Um, about how that seat is defined, given the fact that the HSC is a part of Douglas County government now. Um, and, you know, the ongoing conversations with this board and the city about conflicts of interest. So um, I just put that out there to say that I don't really have um, any availability to consider, but like figuring out how many new folks um, there might be to consider availability with seems important. So curious if maybe we could hear from staff about that. This is Leah Roslin, Affordable Housing Administrator. Yeah, that was something that I had considered and that um, Monty and I had briefly discussed. Um, I'm aware that there are a few members that will be stepping away from the AHAB. And later in the agenda, there's an opportunity for those members to speak. And then um, one member who will be terming off. And in terms of the reappointments, that is up to the discretion and timeline of the mayor. <laughs> and so sometimes that happens rather quickly. And sometimes those seats can stay open for, you know, a month or two or even several sometimes, depending on how quickly that happens. And so um, if the AHAB, you know, would rather wait to schedule the retreat until all the new appointments have been made, um, we can certainly think about having a spring retreat instead and just, you know, maintaining our current goals um, until that retreat happens and we have an opportunity to set new five-year goals. Um, in terms of the city advisory board and um, committee reorganization, that will likely be at least, at least another three to six months um, before any decisions are finalized is my understanding. So um, that is an additional consideration. All right, um, anyone else? Yeah, go ahead, Shannon. Shannon Allery, Housing Authority. Um, I, I kind of agree that the whole point of getting new people on the retreats, the best place to catch people up on where we've come from and what we've done. And if we have new people, then we're gonna to need to know what their thoughts are about our goals going forward um, so that we kind of get a better idea about what we're gonna do with that matrix and how we're gonna do our grant applications and everything. And so I'd hate to see us do a retreat and then turn around and need to redo it because we have three, four new people who uh, also should legitimately have input in that. Thank you, Shannon. Uh, 
Leah, I have, a, I have a question, I guess, Monty, soak up chair. The, uh, if we went out to March and looked in March, does that impact something else down the road? Because I think by March, we would probably most likely have our new appointments. Um, maybe give us a little time. Maybe we'll know a little bit more about what the city is going to do. Um, as long as it doesn't affect, affect, impact any processes we have in place to do things. Because I think we're going to take, again, we might know more about the matrix and studying that. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm, you're saying we, it doesn't have a great impact on process if we went to March? No, Just, this, this is the Arizona Affordable Housing Administrator. I think that would be fine. Um, okay. We could wait if the AHAB wishes, we could wait until those new appointments are made. And then resend out the doodle poll for times in March. Well, and it may we may be able to ask, not put pressure on the mayor, but we could ask the mayor to try to get the appointments ahead of that time. So, um, okay. So, is any does anybody object to pushing it out if we were to try to push it out to March and find another date, do another doodle poll? Okay, so we have a motion on the floor. So I think we need to either act on that or it needs to be, I don't know if there's a way to hold that I think back. what we do, if, if that's the, the decision that we're going to take, then we just all vote it down. Vote negatively, okay. So, um, so here's where we are. We have a motion on the floor to have it on January 30th. Uh, we've heard from staff that it would be okay to push it out to March. So if you want, to have the meeting on January 30th, you need to vote affirmatively. And if you would like to push it out to a later date, you need to vote negatively on this action, on this motion. Does everybody understand that? Is there any other discussion on this before I call the roll? Okay, I'm going to call the roll. Uh, Ron Gacious. Pass. Uh, Christina Gentry. Push out to a later date. I didn't understand that. Did somebody catch that? No, I, I'm voting to pass, which is to push to a later date. I'm, if my, did I get that vote right? Okay. So my, Edith, <laughs> okay. So, my, so, okay, I, I'm not quite understanding. So, you, if you want to have it on the, 30th, you vote yes. If you want to have it at a later date to yet be determined, you vote no. I'm voting no. No. Okay. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Edith Guffey? No. Thomas Howe? No. Erica Zimmerman? No. No. Shannon Reed? No. Sarah Waters? No. Tom Allen? No. Monty Soka, no. Motion passes. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Monty. Eight, eight no. Or motion is denied. <laughs> I sorry. also vote no. Oh, oh, I missed you. I'm sorry. I didn't have you. So uh, Shannon Ori is a no. So motion is uh, fails. Nine against one abstention. Okay, so at this point, um, I guess we would direct Leah to try to do another doodle poll for March, probably not during the final four <laughs> <laughs> week. 
and um and uh, let's try to find a new date and then we'll work towards uh getting with the new mayor and trying to get our appointments as soon as reasonably possible okay so that moves us on to item four uh, consider forming a committee to update affordable housing trust fund award process and procedures including application timeline review matrix and scoring and notice of funding opportunity um leah and i have talked about this and um you know trying to get that work done in this group uh outside of having you know many hours of work sessions uh does not seem like a thing that this uh we can do in these our regular monthly meetings so we thought that uh considering making a smaller group to put something together and bring it back to this group to review and either approve or not approve might be a, a good way to move this forward because we all seem to have some dissatisfaction with uh with our current process or at least concerns about our current process um so i'd like to hear other people's thoughts on that and uh if we can uh ultimately move to a point where we would uh make a motion to form the committee uh to form a committee to look at this any thoughts Ms. Christina Gentry, uh, Mr. Chair, do you feel, um, and, and I, my thoughts here, do you feel a little bit um, preempted to form these subcommittees, um, considering we are looking at new membership and maybe quite a few new members in the coming next few months, or is this still maybe a good time for us to consider creating the subgroups uh, now with the anticipation that we may or may not have the same people um, working together? Just a thought. Yeah. So this is Monty Sokup Chair. I, I'm having difficulty understanding you through the audio here, but I think what you ask is, do you think we should wait to have our new members be involved in that? And I think that uh, if we form the committee, if somebody comes on that's interested, we could certainly add them. But I think the committee, people on the committee that worked with the current matrix probably have a better understanding of the difficulty we've you know, ha had filling it out and the difficulties we've had with it. So maybe that group can... Uh, you know, create something new. And then certainly those new people would be on board, you know, before we approve this and have opportunity for input. So I think that pro I think the timeline, you know, we, we got to jump at some point. So Shannon, do you have a okay? Anyone else? This is Sarah Waters um, with KU. Uh -huh. That's again, I'm just putting it out there because again, and it's a no, no brainer. What I'm going to say is that is like a lot of work, which is what you're asking. The application plus timeline plus. So I actually, so again, I, I think it's really important, but I'm trying to also quant, like think of how that work would get done other than you just start somewhere and see where you can get. So mm -hmm. to me, the timeline of that's important too because of the timeline of when we put the notice of funding out has been questioned as well. Mm -hmm. So just, so I don't know if there's something that it should start with first, just, I don't know, cause wow, right? 
But you're right, Monty. We've been talking about this for years. Needs to get some work done. Hey, right. Yeah. And I think mostly, uh, you know, as 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 I have thought about this and had conversations with a few people, including you, <laughs> um, uh, you know, I think we start with the matrix and kind of figure out what the things we want to evaluate are. And then uh, the application form and that stuff will come into line so that it aligns with what we're asking about in the matrix. So we've got to figure out what those criteria are we really want to know about and how we ask those questions. And I think the rest of that will, I mean, it certainly it's work, but it should fall into place if we get the right things in the matrix and in the application. So I'm not, oh, you know, yes, it's a lot of work, but I, again, we got to, we need to start it. We have to start somewhere. So uh, I'm thinking that, you know, we're a, a smaller group to start this work. Uh, yeah. I agree with you. We can move faster. The approach. Can I ask a, maybe clarifying, though? Um, when we were doing our awards at the last meeting, that those funds were being talked about as becoming available in the spring like by January potentially. And we were talking potentially about the possibility of an early spring cycle. So I'm wondering, again, it's a separate, but is, do we have something that's coming sooner that we should start this with? Or I could just trying to understand or where, because and I'll, I'll say, I volunteer to help with this. So if you're looking for volunteers, I'd be happy to help this, assuming my board reappointment gets approved by the mayor, um, my request, because my term is up, but I've asked to be reappointed. So, mm -hmm. Yeah, and certainly that's an issue. We may ultimately have to go through another award without having this in place. I mean, that that's one possibility. Um, so I guess at this point, I would be, I, I mean, certainly I don't want to cut off conversation, but if... Uh, I would ask that someone uh, uh, move to form an affordable housing trust fund uh, uh, to form a committee to study the matrix and uh, the award process. Uh, Mr. Chair, I would I would make that motion, but I would with a, a minor amendment. I don't mm -hmm. think we should. It should be a committee. I think it should. Be, oh, it should be a task force. Okay. With very defined timeframes on it, and so I would move that we form a task force for reviewing all of our uh, SOPs. Okay. Thank you. That's. Edith Coffey, I second the motion. Okay, so we have a motion and a second to form a task force to study this. Any other comments? I think uh, the other thing that uh, Thomas brought up is having a timeline and whatnot. And I think if we form the task force and put some people on it, they can start looking at it and figure out what a reasonable timeline is and come back to this group. Yeah. Uh, any other comments? Okay, seeing none, I'm going to call the roll again. To, this is to form the task force. Ron Gacious? Yes. Christina Gentry? Yes. Edith Guffey? Yes. Thomas Howe? Yes. Erica Zimmerman? Yes. Shannon Reed? 
Yes. Sarah Waters? Yes. Tom Allen? Yes. Shannon Aury? Yes. Monty Sokup? Yes. That is 10. That motion passes 10 0. Um, at this point, I guess I would ask people to reach out to Leah if you're interested in being on that task force. Uh, and then we'll we'll see what kind of response we have. And if we need to ask for more people, we will. I may be calling you. You just never know. <laughs> so um, that moves us on uh, to item number five, and that is consider canceling the January 2023 full affordable housing advisory board meeting. Uh, Leah, do you want to talk about that and why we're talking about that? Sure. This is Leah Rose. I'm Affordable Housing Administrator. Um, well, I will be out in January, and certainly there are other staff to support, um, but we don't have any pressing business items that have to be done in January. Um, and my thought was that that it, by canceling the meeting, it would give the time for the task force to meet and it wouldn't be such a you know burden on folks time that did wanna serve on that task force. Um, but again, certainly if the AHAB wishes to go ahead and meet in January, then there can be another staff member from the city here to support. Okay. All right, thank you, Leah. Are there any questions about that? If I see none, I would uh, accept a motion to cancel the January 2023 Affordable Housing Advisory Board meeting and then to pick up with our regular meeting in February. And Mr. Chair, Thomas mm -hmm. Howe, Lawrence Board of Realtors representative, uh, I would move that we cancel the meeting with the proviso that if we can get the group together in time, that that might be a good time to have a uh, task force. Hmm. Okay. Shannon Aury, I second. Okay. So we have a motion and a second. Um, is there any comments on that? Okay. So, Tom, if you would restate the motion. Yes, I, I move that we would cancel the normal January Affordable Housing Advisory Board meeting, and if possible, to replace it with the task force, the review task force meeting. Okay. All right. So that is the motion on the floor. Um, I'm going to read the roll. Ron Gacious. Aye. Christina Gentry. Yes. Edith Guffey. Yes. Thomas Howe. Yes. Erica Zimmerman. Yes. Shannon Reed. Yes. Sarah Waters? Yes. Tom Allen? Yes. Shannon Ori? Yes. Monty Sokup? Yes. Motion passes 10-0. So our January meeting will be canceled. And in lieu of that, the task force will be meeting on uh, the matrix that uh, on the, the task force meeting. So uh, keep that on your calendar if you uh call Leah to volunteer for that. And uh, we'll get that figured out since she's going to be gone uh, at that time. That is the uh, end of our regular agenda. So we have member updates. Um, 
So uh, update on affordable housing advisory board membership transitions. So Leah, are you doing that update? Um, this is Leah Roslin, Affordable Housing Administrator. I um, was wondering if AHAB members who will be transitioning off would like to take the opportunity to notify your fellow members, or I'm certainly willing or, and happy to make those announcements to the members that have communicated that to me. Um, but I am aware that there will be several um, members who will be transitioning off. And so this might be a good time if there are any, <laughs> if, you'd wish, if you wish to share that. This is Shannon Reed, Douglas County Commission. Uh, well, sorry for skipping ahead on the agenda earlier, um, but just <laughs> take the opportunity since this will be my last meeting to um, say farewell to all of you in this space. I know many of you and will uh, and I will cross paths elsewhere in the community, but um, appreciate um, everybody's work and yeah, I'll, I'll miss it, um, but ready to have some um, fresh perspective here also. Shannon, thank you for your service to this committee. It's been appreciated and valued. Thanks. Anyone else? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, Ron Gacious, Chamber Representative. I'll be leaving my uh, my second term one year early, uh, effective the end of December. It's been a wonderful experience. Uh, we've done a lot of great work, and I look forward to uh, continuing to be active in the housing space, and I'll be visiting with many of you I know in the future. Thank you all very much for your service and making it a great pleasure to uh, represent the chamber on behalf of um, city housing issues. Thank you. Thank you, Ron. I, I appreciated your service as well. Been, and I like that you come and you sit next to me at the boardroom <laughs> at the meetings. <laughs> Anyone else transitioning that wants to make a comment? Yes, uh, Tom Allen, member at large. Uh, my term's expiring, and um, I'm fortunate that I'm getting a promotion uh, at the university, which will entail lots of committee work. And more importantly, my uh, teaching schedule tends to vary a lot, so I've always had some conflicts. But I, w I wanted to share that, um, you know, coming from the design profession, I hope you all keep me in mind for uh, helping with any visioning exercises in the future, you know, where I'm always looking for good opportunities to connect and uh, take on new design projects. Um, so thank you all for letting me serve with you and I wish you well. Thank you, Tom. It's been a pleasure, certainly. Anyone else? This, All right, wonderful. Um, this well, is Leah Roseland, Affordable Housing Administrator. Um, Rebecca Buford, the Tenants to Homeowners Rep, is not present today, but um, her term also expires. Mm -hmm. And so they will be nominating a new representative to serve. And uh, my understanding is that as long as that mayoral appointment is made in January, that he will be joining the January meeting. So lots of changes. Yeah, a lot of change coming up. And then, uh, but that's good. It's good and bad. It's sad in one way, and it's good that we'll have some fresh ideas, uh, like Shannon said. And uh, always, it's good to know there's, you know, obviously interest in this and interest in the committee. So 
With that, I'm going to move on to update. Chair, I'm sorry oh. to interrupt you. Oh, sorry. That's okay. No, I just. I'm missing someone else. No, I just wanted to. No, no, no. There's nobody else. I just wanted to. And, and you may cue this up at the end, but just to remind folks that if there's any interest in um, chair, vice chair, that that election will happen now with the February meeting. And so that is an additional transition that may occur depending on who is interested and nominated. Shannon Reed, Douglas County Commission. I just have a quick question just to clarify. I think I heard Sarah mention it earlier, but um, I noticed that Sarah Waters and Christina Gentry both have terms expiring. Have you are you both intending to be hoping to be reappointed or have requested to? Yeah, I'm sorry. Thanks, Shannon. I hold the KUC and I have this is Sarah Waters. I've requested to be um, renowned or reappointed by the mayor um, after speaking with the chancellor's office here because that's the the seat that I'm in and I'm eligible for one more term. So would like to serve again and hopefully get that opportunity. Thank you, Shannon. This is Christina Gentry. Um, my position here is board as a member who has and received uh, public uh, housing. Uh, so I intend to keep my position. I also hopefully will be reappointed by the mayor. I submitted my uh, reapplication as well. So uh, hopefully that's approved and I get to continue doing the great work with these folks, the new ones and the older ones. <laughs> great. Right. I'm glad to hear it. I will um, tell the mayor that I hope you both are reappointed. So thank <laughs> you for continuing to serve. Thanks, Chair. Go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> thank you. I'm glad to hear that as well. All right. Is it okay to move off this agenda item now? Yeah, <laughs> okay. Um, all right. Uh, update on the Affordable Housing Trust Fund City Commission approval. Um, as you know, we forwarded a recommendation to the City Commission last week. Um, I was there to answer comments. Um, they approved all of the projects as, as recommended except the union project. Um, and they were concerned about a few things on that, in particular, the amount of the uh, developer fee. Um, I did my best to explain this board's rationale for the award that we had made. Um, and uh, but they I think they are going to work with Leah and ask us to review that um, and come back to them. Uh, is that a fair statement, Leah? We haven't, I don't believe we've received a lot of direct input as to what they wanted to do, just that they were kind of sending that back to us. Yeah, this is Leah Roslin, Affordable Housing Administrator. Um, the commission was interested in some additional clarity and information regarding the develop, developer fee specifically. And so we have reached out to the annex group and started um, gaining a more clarity on that. And the uh, recommendation was not approved nor denied. And so once um, once we gather some additional information and see what some options are, then that will go back to the commission uh, for reconsideration. And I will notify the AHAB as soon as that's on the next city commission agenda. Yeah. Um, and I would say that my basic explanation to them was that, yes, we did recognize the fee was high, that they had asked for $750,000, and we awarded $400,000, and that when you looked at other metrics of that project, that they were good metrics, you know, the cost per unit that we were 
subsidizing and those kind of things were all very positive and that this this committee felt that that was um you know an appropriate uh allocation to that project so um obviously that wasn't sufficient so um we'll be working on that some more and i look forward to that seeing what we can uh come up with whether that's a modified recommendation or pushing that recommendation back to them uh, you know if we come to the same conclusion I, I don't know where we'll go yet but obviously uh we have a little more work to do on that but well and uh this is the arizona affordable housing administrator and i would say that the discussion both in the ahab and the city commission just brings to light that you know additional work is needed on the trust funds matrix and application maybe some standardization of how the budget is presented and reviewed um and perhaps um there's an expectation or limit set by the ahab that could then be recommended for approval by the commission on what an appropriate developer fee might be um mm -hmm. it's similar to um you know length of affordability um so i think that'll be really great work for the task force to consider right and uh you know i specifically asked a question with Alyssa today and wrote down some numbers here about what the light tech because there is a limit as i heard her conversation which i will follow up with her about a limitation on the developer fee on light tech awarded projects so um, you know, I'm assuming at this point that it fell within those requirements. So um, that, that'll be an interesting conversation to have to, to help with this uh, conversation we're going to have coming up. So when we get more direction, we'll be bringing that back to the committee to to take a look at and figure out what we're going to do. Any other questions on that? Uh, yeah, go ahead, Edith. Yeah, I just like to say from the presentation we had this morning, which I also thought was very, very helpful and um, would recommend for new members as they come that they go back and look at this video uh, so that they can have benefit of this presentation as they join. Uh, it, it appeared to me that the developer fee may not be as clear cut as we think. Um, that we're just looking at one piece of it, because if it passed the LIHTC, uh standard, it may be much more complicated because they talked about uh, that this was not an easy project, how complicated this project was. And we should probably uh, delve into that more before we just say developer fee was so high. So, Yeah. Agreed. All right. So there's no action item on that. So uh, seeing no further comments, I'm going to move on to the third update. Uh, the December 13th City Commission agenda item uh, amending City Code Chapter 10, Article 1. I'm going to let you read the sections to provide equal opportunity uh, housing regardless of source of income uh, or as status as a survivor of domestic violence, sexual assault, human trafficking, or stalking. Uh, as you guys would recall, that's something that this committee looked at and ultimately pushed on to it. Uh, Human Resources Committee, am I getting that right? Relations. <laughs> and um, uh, that is now coming back to the City Commission on Tuesday night, if I recall correctly. I plan to be there uh, uh, personally to speak on behalf of it. Um, I don't know. I would be I would love it if I could get consensus from this 
committee where I could represent the committee at that meeting um, to represent that we are in support of this document and made, you know, reviewed it and made recommendations. I know there were some things in it that this committee didn't love and, uh, but, um, but I think overall it's a good, uh, a good change. Hey, uh, um, Monty, this is Shannon Lowry. Mm -hmm. Um, is the, I, is the pet provision still in what is going to be considered on Tuesday or has that been stripped out? I do not know that. This is Leah Roseland, Affordable Housing Administrator. Um, what is being presented to the City Commission is a modified version of what was previously presented to the AHAB and developed by the committee. Um, so uh, currently, it does not have the pet provision included, and it's much more narrow in scope. And so really, it does focus on those two items, the source of income non-discrimination for voucher holders and um, non-discrimination for survivors. Um, I should have, in hindsight, I should have linked to the City Commission agenda item so that you all could review that. I will include it in the minutes, but that is live online uh, for anybody who's interested in pulling that up and reviewing the agenda item report. You can review what specifically um, is included in that. Well, given that, then I'm in favor of Monty uh, representing us, saying that we are, <laughs> not only are we in support of it, but that we champion it. Mr. Chairman, so yeah. go ahead. Ron Gacious, Chamber Representative, I second Shannon's motion. All right, so we have, I guess we're gonna, we're gonna have an official action here to allow me to represent this committee at the chamber or at the city commission meeting. So we have a motion and a second. Mr. Chair, Any comments? this is Christina Gentry. Trying to adjust my audio. Am I coming in clearer now? Okay, I'm just going to uh, speak. Um, this is Christina Gentry, um, board member. Monty, I will also be in attendance. Um, I'll be speaking and giving a testimony just to my experience of being a Section 8 voucher recipient. So uh, I really respect you are going to be there and joining in attendance as well. But I'll be speaking uh, for my behalf and good to have your support and the support of the board as well. All right, wonderful. I will see you there then. <laughs> Um, so we have a motion and a discussion. Yeah, we have further discussion. This is uh, Shannon Reed, Douglas County Commission. I just want to quickly clarify with Leah. Well, one, make a request that if a link could be sent out this afternoon just to make sure we get to the right agenda packet and the right meeting, I would appreciate that. Um, and to clarify, does it is there still any work on? Um, the, I don't have it right in front of me, I'm sorry, but the other chapter and like inclusive screening requirements. Is it, you said it's narrowly focused now, so maybe that's that's just been eliminated and I'm just curious. This is Leah Roslin, Affordable Housing Administrator. To my understanding, um, there will be a recommendation made to look at the additional sections. Um, so what is being presented now is more narrow in scope. And again, that's 
to my knowledge, that that will be the recommendation is to then look at the inclusive screening criteria and the enforcement aspect of it. Okay, so the, they're taking up the issues separately, then it sounds like instead of together. Okay, um, thank you. Well, I appreciate that clarification. And I, um, yeah, so it certainly hope that there's plenty of consensus here for you, Monty, and a formal action to um, represent those of us who can't be there. Okay, is it further discussion? If not, I'll call the roll. All right, I'm going to call the roll. Ron Gacious. Yes. Christina Gentry. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Edith Guffey. Yes. Thomas Howe. Yes. Erica Zimmerman. Yes. Shannon Reed. Yes. Sarah Waters. Yes. Thomas Allen. Yes. Shannon Ori. Yes. Monty Soka. Yes. Motion passes 10-0 to support that, and I will represent that uh, at the meeting on Tuesday. Thank you. Uh, one small step <laughs> for us, you know, on a many step journey. So, okay, uh, moving on, we'll go to the calendar. In February of 2023, we're going to elect uh, an advisory board and vice chair and a vice chair. Uh, we'll receive the annual report and uh, discuss the housing trust fund grant cycle process recommendations. Uh, so hopefully we'll have something to come out of that January meeting as well to inform that. And then in March, we'll receive uh, affordable housing trust fund final reports. And then also in March, we'll be having our retreat sometime. So please respond to uh, Leah's uh, email regarding a doodle poll so we can try to get a good date uh, or a couple good dates uh, to consider for that. With that... Is there any new business for many members, committee members? All right, seeing none, we are adjourned. Thank you for your work today. Appreciate it. You had the gavel, you didn't bang it. <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations. Thanks. You know, it's not too.